Hi, this is Regeline Sabat, also known as Gigi. You're listening to Walk With Me Podcast. My guest today is Justin Crane. Justin Crane is an actor, author, philanthropist, and suicide advocate. He was raised in the hood and he has transformed his life. Now he is helping other people do the same. Welcome to the show, Justin. Thank you. I appreciate you. It's an honor to have you today. Fantastic. Now, tell us more about you and where you're from. Okay. Um, I'm from San Antonio, Texas. I uh, had a bit of a rough life, as you mentioned. Um, I had to overcome a little bit of adversity in my life when it comes to living in Section 8 housing and projects, I guess you could say. Uh, project housing is is no fun walk of life, I assure you that. Uh, you know, I saw a couple of people die right on my doorstep behind bad crack deals and things of that nature. Uh, but it was ad- adversity that was necessary in order for me to, to realize that I could be an inspiration to people who are enduring the same types of tribulations and trials and things of that nature in their life. So I guess it was a necessary walk in order for me to be able to help you know, uh, in my own little way, shape, form, and fashion. I'm actually just a, a aspiring philanthropist. I'm not, technically, I'm not a philanthropist just yet, but I mean, I do do volunteer work with um, uh, Christmas in April. That was pretty cool, like rebuilding old ladies' homes and stuff for free. Uh, also, I, I volunteered at uh, Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, and that was that was an experience in itself just to see the people that had lost everything, you know, and like how they were just like, why, God, why? And I was, I don't know, it's just like everything was just like building me, you know what I mean? Making, forming who you have today. And uh, as much as I didn't like going through the adversity or going through the pressure situations and stuff like that, I mean, it did, it, it did give me the character that I needed in order to feel as if there's nothing that I can't overcome in life. So I found I found the light in, um, amidst all the darkness and I was able to be one of those rare flowers that grow in the weeds you know like the the seed that's planted in the weeds and stuff is not supposed to grow because the weeds take away from its nutritional value and its water and its you know its goodness and they choke it before it could ever get to its full bloom but somehow i was able to to overcome that and bloom against all odds um now, Justin, tell us more about how your life was affected after you saw two men on separate occasions get murdered over dope deals. Well, I was 16 years old and I was uh, living with my dad. And at, at first I was living with my mom, but we were having a our complicated. We were having like a personality conflict, I guess you could say, because she's a Sagittarius and I'm a Sagittarius. So we kind of think along the same lines when it comes to being a powerhouse or being an alpha, I guess you could say. And, you know, we just kept butting heads and stuff like that. So she asked me what I wanted to do. Um, and I told her that I wanted to go live with my dad. Well, I didn't understand the situation that my dad was living in. And my dad was living at a, a motel apartments over off of Nacogdoches Road. And then from there, I mean, it just got worse and worse and worse, you know. And then uh, we ended up going to the Sam Shelter, which is downtown. And we lived there for a long time. And it was me and my stepmom and my dad and my little baby brother who was just born. Or actually, he was about uh, two years old by then. That was Zach. Uh, he ended up getting taken by Child Protective Services. And uh, my little brother, Casey, ended up getting taken by Child Protective Services, as well as um, Barbara and Sebastian. And that's because my stepmom, she was just uh, lost in a, in a way. Well, actually, my stepmom and my dad were both wrapped up in a, in a way, in a lifestyle that's, uh, I guess you could say, dis- destroy or destructful, I guess, you know what I mean? It's like a life of destruction, let's put it that way. They were hooked on drugs uh-huh. in layman terms. So seeing all that, you know, it's like, I kind of never really had a real understanding of what I was going through, you know what I mean? It was just kind of like, okay, this is just life, you know, like this is how it was, this is how my the cards I drew, I guess you could say, you know, so I guess I'm gonna just have to work with the cards that I've been dealt. And then we get to we get to the Sam shelter, and then uh um, golly, what do they call them? Uh, the lady, she sends you somewhere. You know what I mean? Her, uh, I have it right on the tip of my tongue. She's a caseworker. She's a caseworker for uh, Child Protective Services and for uh, Sam shelter. So our caseworker comes in and she says, "Hey man, I got y'all a place. It's in the Section Eight housing. It's Project Housing, and that's going to be in Sutton Homes." And your son will be going to Sam Houston. 
Sam Houston High School. So, I mean, that's like a real, real rough neighborhood. And it's like right next to Wheatley Courts and a lot of people. It's it's kind of equivalent to, you know, Compton or like, uh, you know, like one of those rougher areas. It's kind of like, it's guns, drugs, drug dealers, dope fiends, uh, pit bull fights, shooting dice on the corner every night, uh, gunshots every night. The cops don't go in there uh, unless, you know, you know, there's... Like they don't want to go there. Let's just put it that way, because that's like a good place to get shot. So, I was inside and I was I was hanging out, and my dad, he's in the living room with my stepmom, and then I heard these two guys out arguing right outside our doorstep. So I go outside and I was like, I'm I'm like right at the doorstep and I'm listening to their argument, and the guy pulls out a gun and just like pow 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 pow. He's like, Yeah, you want to burn me? And I was like, Oh Lord! So my dad grabbed me by the back of my neck and he pulls me in the house kind of like um lion king you know what i mean like when mufasa grabs simba he's like get get over here <laughs> and he's like teaching me the ropes of the ghetto and stuff so he's like you don't know nothing you didn't hear nothing you didn't see nothing i was like yes sir so i kind of like had to adapt to all that stuff you know and try to try to learn the lingo so that that way nobody would pick on me because i'm an outside kid i've always been an outside kid i've never been the type of person who could just stay indoors and just do nothing you know what i mean or well, I mean, back in the 80s, if you didn't have a phone, they could enable you to do that. You know, just like be locked in a room. No, not going to do that. You can only play with toys for so long. So I'm out there in Section 8 housing, and that's that's very dangerous. And I, I, was, I wasn't aware of how dangerous it was, you know what I mean? And so I started getting into – I started playing basketball a lot there. And every time I would go play basketball at nighttime, you know, like all the dope dealers would – take their dope and they would put it under their bench and then they would take their guns and they'd put them over, you know, like in a little stash spot and stuff, you know, it was crazy. It was crazy. So I was just out there having a good time uh, playing ball and doing what I love to do. And none of it really like dawned on me that that was, um, none of it dawned on me that, 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 that like my life was in danger every single day that I was out there. All I knew is I just wanted to win on the basketball court. And uh, I, I thank God for basketball because that definitely saved my life in more ways than one. So um, seeing those guys get murdered right in front of me, the second guy got stabbed, you know, seeing them get murdered right in front of me, I guess it just like helped me understand that how fast life could be lived, you know, like life could be over in a matter of seconds. And so I like, like I said, I was only 16. So it never really dawned on me. It's just like, go with the flow. You know, that, that wasn't me. I'm not, I'm not, it kind of made something with it, like it, it instilled something within me to to be like, I'm not gonna do anything for anybody to to shoot me or stab me or kill me. You know what I mean? Like I'm just gonna be, uh, I'm gonna resolve situations with um, with with words. You know what I mean? Or like, I'm not gonna put myself in a position to to get burned like that. So anyway, uh, we're living in Sutton Homes for a long time on Casper Walk. Uh, Never really got into any fights. Everybody kind of really cut for me. You know, they were like on my on my side. And, you know, you start learning the lingo and stuff. And people want you to hang out at the trap house. and want you to start serving work and stuff like that. But um, that means like selling drugs. But, you know, that, that wasn't of my interest. You know what I mean? Like I didn't care about making a fast book or anything like that. And I dang sure didn't want to live a fast life. And I knew that that was of the fast life, you know. And uh, one time Dino did put me on, you know, and I, I brought all this dope back to my dad and my stepmom. And I was like, hey, look, Dino gave me this and he wants me to sell it. He said I can make $200 profit. And he was like, my dad was like, you're not selling that crap. Give it to me. And then they smoked it off. And so he paid for it and all that other good stuff. But I mean, like I, I had got a really good deal on it. I guess that's why he did it. So my dad and my stepmom smoked up all that dope. And that, that was like kind of like, you know, my my sign to never get lost in the dope game, I guess you could say. So I shunned that and I shunned that on account of my dad. And then uh, I ended up going to TYC. Um, I had went into a bargains flea market and my stepbrother or my sister's first baby's daddy, I guess you could say, you know what I mean? Like her, her baby dad, she... He dared me to steal something from there, so I stole it, and then I ended up getting on probation. And then while I was on probation, one night my dad was just like, "Hey, man, 
uh, you want to go with me and Emily to the store because they ran out of money and they didn't have any more dope and they wanted to get some more crack. So they were like, I'm going to go to the store real quick. We're going to call up one of Emily's guys and see if he'll spot her some money because she was a stripper. So he was like, all right, cool. Yeah, just come and get the money and I'll spot you. I'll spot you whatever you need. And then, you know, whenever you go back to the strip club, you could just give me a free dance or something like that. So I didn't want to go. You know, I was just like, heck, no, I don't want to go. My dad was like, well, let me put it to you this way. We're going. So he borrows my uncle's car. And he's not really my uncle, but still, he's like my uncle, you know, like they're brothers. So we borrow his car and we drive. He makes me go with him. And we don't have, I, I, we didn't pack anything, you know what I mean? He's just like, we're driving, we go get the money from the, from her guy. And then he says, you want to go to East Coast or you want to go to the West Coast? And I was like, I was like, man, you must be really drunk. Because he was drinking Mad Dog 2020 at that time, you know? And he was already like uh, one and a half deep. And I know, I know about Mad Dog 2020. I was like, oh, <laughs> So he was like, you want to go East Coast or West Coast? And I was like, well, we got like $20. There's no way in heck we could do that. But he was like East Coast or West Coast. So this was during Pac and Biggie. And I was more of a Tupac fan because I like the light that he was uh, preaching and stuff like that in his own little way. So I said, West Coast. So he looks at Emily and he says, West Coast. She said, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. But neither one of us took him serious. So shoot, he stole my uncle's car and we drove out to Dallas and we went to go talk to my aunt. And she was rich because she had married like a doctor or something like a neurosurgeon or something like that. So she had like a whole bunch of money. So we went and stayed there for a night or two. And then uh, I guess my dad borrowed like $375 from her. And that was supposed to get us to, to California. But that wasn't the case, you know what I mean? Because that's that's nowhere near enough money to sustain a trip of that nature. So he ends up giving me this like... Uh, I guess you could say a way of making money. You know what I mean? Like this was back, back in like 96, 95. So, um, he says, we're gonna, we're gonna go to California, but we don't, we're not, we don't have money. We don't have no way of making money or anything like that. So you're going to go into home Depot and you're going to steal this cold water cartridge valve and you're going to steal a 360 degree swivel. And he went and took me in and he showed me which, what parts were which. And I said, okay, and so I went in there and I took him and I brought him back out to him. Well, he had a master plumber license. So he would take the parts back in and he would get the money back, cash back. And they would do it like three times. So on the way out of walking out of uh, Home Depot, he grabbed the Home Depot newspaper. And on the back, there's like a little box and it has like a whole bunch of little orange dots. Well, those are all the Home Depots in that city, in that area. So we went all the way to California on that. So that's going to be part of my philanthropic efforts, too. I'm also I'm definitely going to. Uh, give give back to charity of their choice whenever I get around to prospering. But um, we went all the way to California on that. It took us like about three months or something like that, you know, to go from San Antonio to, to California. <laughs> and uh, by the time we got to Oakland, you know, like we got to Oakland and that was a real trying time for me. So um, he asked he asked me whether I wanted to go to Disneyland or whether we wanted to smoke crack because that's basically like he by then like i was already in in with him and he let me smoke with him and stuff like that you know he let me start doing drugs with him and so i was like okay so like we we're just like a, a three-man team you know like all the kids were already taken by the child protective services and uh it was just me my dad and my and my stepmom and so all of us just were like like we couldn't find drugs but when we did find drugs then it was like boom i mean i was finding marijuana the whole time and i was smoking with my dad the whole time and so um it, it progressed, you know what I mean? He was like, you ever smoked this? And I was like, no. And he was like, you want to try? And I was like, sure. But I don't see why not. And so I started burning with them and stuff. But they were on some, like, I don't know, they were geeking out and stuff. And I was just like, this is crazy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's out of this world. So um, we get to Oakland and he asks, well, you want to go to Disneyland or do you want to smoke? You want to get some rocks? And I was like, I want to go to Disneyland. And then Emily was like, oh, well, I want to smoke rocks. And then he was like, well, we're going to smoke rocks. And I was like, I was like, that's the first time you've ever taken anybody's side over me. You know what I mean? And there's like 
like I didn't understand it. I was like, what the, like, was the drug more important? Was her decision more important? Cause he had never taken anything over me ever in my life. You know, he had always ride or die for me. My dad, my dad for his son, you know what I mean? And so when he took her side over mine that night, I was just devastated. So I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm thinking like, maybe I should, I'm just gonna, like, I'm gonna kill myself. You know what I mean? And this was about the time when Snoop Dogg had a song out. And he was like, my little baby boo-boo take a, took a pencil in his neck. So I had a pencil and it was reflecting the light. Like the light was just reflecting on the tip of the pencil. Like it was like a power in it, you know what I mean? And I had it and I was just gonna like, mm. I was just gonna like do myself in, right? And my, there's no way my dad could see me or anything like that. So he said, out of nowhere, he just goes, that's the coward's way out. And he says, I didn't raise no coward. And I'm like, you know, I'm crying already. I'm crying, but I'm not like, I'm not like letting him know, you know what I mean? Like how, how hurt I am or whatever. And so um, he says, that's the coward's way out. And I started thinking about it and I was like, he's right. He's like, that is the coward's way out. And I've never been a coward because I've always been like athletic, competitive, you know what I mean? Like since I was seven, my dad put me in, um, he put me in Pop Warner football. But when I was seven, um, my dad was dealing drugs for the Banditos, you know, which is a biker gang here in San Antonio. It's actually a biker gang nationwide. So he was dealing drugs for the Banditos and stuff. And at eight, at eight we ended up getting raided but by then I had already had built a rapport with my dad and I started playing football and I was like becoming competitive and stuff like that. But I was around dope dealers and drug dealers and drug dope, dope fiends. And you know what I mean? Like all day long, it was just like nonstop, 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 in and out the house, in and out the house, people knocking all hours of the night, bringing stolen stuff, stupid arguments, you know, over nothing. So I kind of like got adapted to that at a very young age. And, um, at about eight, we got raided and they kicked the door and I was supposed to go to child protective service, but my mom ended up showing up like out of the blue, you know, and she was on her way to California and she was coming to give me a kiss goodbye, you know? And so when she showed up, like, thank God she did show up, she shows up and like the cops were already getting ready to send me to foster care. And they were like, who are you? And she's like, I'm his mom. They were like, show us some proof and you could take him with you. So. Now, all of a sudden, I'm my mom's burden, you know, like my mom only planned on going to California with my brother and my sister and her and her uh, and her and my stepdad. So now I was like a burden to her or something, you know what I mean? And she had another mouth to feed, you know, and she, I don't think she was expecting that at all. So we get to California and there's a major earthquake in 89. Bridges collapse on each other. My mom was supposed to be in that. I'm just giving you like a real like condensed version, you know what I mean? Of course. And so, um, even though it seems elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we get there, big big earthquake in 89. Uh, she was supposed to die in that earthquake, but one of her friends called her early in the morning and they were like, how much do you make a day? And she was like, about $100 a day. He said, I'll give you $200 if you go to my bar because somebody just left my bar and now it's wide open. I don't want somebody to go in there and steal all my stuff. So my mom was like, okay, cool. Well, that same day, the earthquake happened. Well, that scared the heck out of my mom. So she was like, we're not, we're not staying here. We're going back to Texas. And then that's, you know, that's how I ended up getting back with my dad, you know, because my dad got out on a minor technicality. Uh, when we got raided when I was eight, he, uh, they raided him for uh, cocaine, but he had no cocaine in the house. He only had methamphetamines. So it was a minor technicality because they specified on the warrant. So they let him out on a minor technicality eight days later, but by then I was already in California for a year. So when I got back, I was getting into a whole bunch of trouble. And that's how I ended up going back to my dad's because my mom asked me like, what, what the heck's your problem? Like, why, why can't you just be good? because she's trying to teach me like morals and values and manners and how to be a good person and stuff like that. But I was already raised to be a rebel, to be like, I don't have to apply. Those rules don't apply to me. That's your world. You know what I mean? My world's way different. I guess they didn't under, I guess there was like no, no middle. You know what I mean? There was like no neutral ground, I guess you could say between yes, my mom sir. and I. Now, Justin, tell us more about when you push yourself to near death by trying to OD and what is your message to folks who are considering suicide to not do it? Well, um, 
that's that's later on down the line as well. So uh Amber says hello. <laughs> hello, Amber. <laughs> hey, Amber. So um yeah, that's way later down the line, you know what I mean? That was after I had given up, you know, because I, like all the people that I felt like they loved me and stuff, they had ended up passing away, like my grandma and my dad. And, um, you know, like I had already lost my brothers and I didn't feel much love coming from my mom or anybody or anybody that I love now or anybody that loves me now. So anyway, um, got to about like 25 years old and at 18, that's when I kind of like got tempted by the devil and stuff because I was still doing all that dirt. Like after, like my dad, once he put me in at 16, I ended up going to TYC, which is Texas Youth Commission. And I went there and I got some real good values, like some real good knowledge when it comes to like empathy and the reason not to hurt people and stuff like that, because there's extended victims, you know, like it's like when somebody hurts somebody, they're not just hurting that person, you know what I mean? They're actually hurting their mom or their whoever's paying the financial situation or their kids because now they have less money. Like, let's just say if, if I went and killed this guy, you know, I'm not, I'm not just killing him. Like he dies. Yeah. But also his mom doesn't have a son. His dad doesn't have a son. His brother doesn't have a sister. Uh, his brother doesn't have a brother. His sister doesn't have a brother. So, you know, they teach you empathy and they teach you how to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And they teach you the reason not to hurt other people, which is like, because there's extended victims that that um, suffer from your your foolishness, so that was awesome. And then uh, they teach you the, like the reasons for being like a law-abiding citizen, so that you become a productive citizen in society, or with hopes of becoming a productive citizen in society. And um, let me see. After that, uh, after TYC, um, see, because all this stuff led up to that. You know what I mean? And it can't like, I can't just like tell you this without having this part of it. So of course, Justin, tell us more about how, how important your relationship with God is to you. Oh yeah. That's, that's wonderful. <laughs> that's the reason I'm still here. Like I wouldn't, I have no reason to be here. You know what I mean? I gave up a long time ago on this life in this world and stuff, but yeah, God saved me. Like God sent me an angel, you know, on the day that I was that on that day, actually that, that, uh, when I planned on just, you know, I wasn't going to kill myself, you know, because remember my dad said that that's the coward's way out. So I was like, you know what, if I can kill myself, I'm just going to party myself to death. So I went on this like ridiculous binge, you know what I mean? I was going out and I was binging for like three days straight, staying up all night, all day, all night. And then, you know, just doing, just doing coke and stuff. And I was like trying to kill myself by playing basketball at the same time. So like I would go on a three day binge and then I would go play basketball without any sleep at all whatsoever. You know what I mean? For three days. And I would see my heart just boom, 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 boom. And I was like, oh, I'm gone. I'm gone. I'm gone now. I'm to, I, was, I was just ready to go, you know. But uh, God had other plans for me and stuff. So uh, one night I was really pushing the limit. I'm really, 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 really pushing the limit. Like I was like, this is the night I'm going, you know, like I was determined to go. So um, uh, I, I was in my mom's garage and while I'm in my mom's garage, I'm down there and I've got like a tray and I'm like, boom, I'm doing line after line after line. You know what I mean? Like I did a 16th by myself, which is 1.6 grams. And I called and I didn't have that much money. I only had $20, but the dude was like, don't worry, I'll give you a 16th. It's like he was Satan, you know, like Satan wanted me to go. And I was like, yeah, I'm ready to go. Let's go. So I was like, I got 20 bucks. He's like, I give you 16. I was like, okay, cool. That'll do the trick for sure. I was like, I'm sure I'll die off that. So I get it and I'm downstairs and I'm chopping up the lines and stuff. But I'm the type of person that doesn't want my brother to see that because my brother's two years younger than me. And he was here at my mom's as well. And so he uh he come downstairs for no reason. And I, I, I burn trees with him and stuff. You know what I mean? Like I smoke weed with him back in the day. But like I'm chopping up those lines and when he came through the door, it's like, oh, you know, like I start like hiding my stuff, you know, and I cover it up and I was like, what's up, bro? And I, but I'm in, I'm sitting in the pitch dark, you know, pitch black. And he's like, what you doing? And I was like, just chilling, bro. I'm just chilling here. You know, I, I got this big old suite, you know, and I pulled out a blunt, you know, I rolled up a whole bunch of Reggie in it. And um, I was like, man, you want to, you want to put this in the wind? And he was like, yeah. So he comes like he walks over to to where I'm at and then he walks outside of the garage and he sits in the light 
and there's two chairs in the light and I'm sitting in the dark by myself. And like, I didn't think how much that was gonna play an effect, you know what I mean? To, towards the end, but it played a major effect because he sat outside in the light. And so my brother is like, he's ADHD, you know what I mean? So he'll just like ramble, you know, he'll just make noise, you know what I mean? He doesn't even have like, he doesn't make points sometimes. Like he'll just keep going and going like, like he's all over the place. Kind of like me right now, <laughs> but anyway, um, he's sitting outside and he's puffing and stuff. And I'm just like thinking like, man, I'm gonna die because I can see my heart like pumping out of my chest just ridiculously, just ridiculously like boom, boom, boom. So I was like, it's gonna pop any second. I was like, yes, that's, that's what's up. Like, I don't wanna be here no more. And then um, my brother, he says, why are you throwing away all your potential? He's like, don't you know how much work you could do? And I'm like, I'm like, what the hell? I was like, what are you talking about, bro? It's like you're just you're you're tripping me out right now. You know what I mean? And he's like, he said, uh, everything that you've gone through and all the stuff that you've endured and stuff like that, it, it makes you an inspiration to people who are who are going through the same stuff. And I'm like, my brother's not on this level at all whatsoever. You know what I mean? My brother's on stoner level. Like, hey, man, what's up, bro? Let's smoke and eat some Cheetos, dude. Like, he's on that kind of level. He's not on some, you know, like, I don't know, light like that. In my opinion, like, at this point in our life, he wasn't. Now he's more enlightened, you know what I mean? And he's more intelligent, and he has a better uh, way of presenting things. So he says, he's, he's like, telling me all this stuff, and I'm like, Josh. And he's like, nope. And I said, what? And he's like, Josh. And I said, Josh, bro, like, is it? I was like, what's up? And he's like, it's not me. He's like, who do you think it is? And I was like, I was like, dad? And uh, he's like, yeah. Take your time. So, uh, ooh. take your time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, you keeping it real? <laughs> yeah. Long story short, he saved me, you know, and he was telling me like all this stuff, like stuff that I need to do for. Uh, for Jesus and for God and stuff. And I was like, I was like, for what? I'm not interested. He's like, it's an honor. And I was like, oh, okay. I wasn't really, <clears throat> I wasn't really aware of what, uh, what an honor was at that point in my life. So I was like, okay, yeah. What does he want me to do? You know what I mean? And I was, just, I was just so happy. At that point, I got real happy. Cause I was like, dang, all these years, like God never showed up. And uh, Satan was coming after me. <clears throat> Satan was like, boom, I'm here for you. I'm here for you, I got you. And there was never God. So, Finally, God came for me, and I was like, okay, bet. I'm ready, I'm ready. So I guess, like, um, I started, like, getting in the book and stuff, and I started, like, learning, and I started, like, trying to put one, two and two together, you know what I mean? Just, like, on my own, though, you know? And so I uh, wasn't doing too much work at that point, and I should have been working because that was necessary in order to be like a successful person in life when it comes to all the, the things that are, the things that we need to, to set up for our babies. You know what I mean? Like trying to give them a good place, a good platform or like a good, uh, a good place to grow. That's basically what it is. A lot of people don't understand that like babies are just seeds and they're growing and stuff. So you want to grow them. So in order to grow the babies, 
You want to do it just like you would treat a plant. You want to make sure that it gets plenty of water. You want to make sure that it gets plenty of light. You want to make sure that it gets wholesome, nutritious food. Soul food, preferably, which means you pray for them. You know what I mean? And you think about the attributes that surround the position that you want your your baby to be successful in. And if your baby loves to go out and run, then you want to like pray that he has a speed and quickness and agility and balance. If you want him to be an athlete, you want him to have athleticism and strength and arm strength and leg strength, core strength and good decision making and clutch so he could come through in the clutch and he could find that happiness when he's doing what he loves to do or if you want him to be i don't know really smart you want him to you you pray for wisdom and knowledge and understanding and um uh intelligence charisma is great you know what i mean you just think of attributes and you ask god for that stuff because we're his children and he's our he's our father and a lot of people don't know that a lot of people like take that for granted. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this life's like this is a gift. Like this is I'm good. Like I'm alive. I this is, you know, they they just assume that it's for granted. And it's actually God who has given it to us, you know, uh, out of the I guess you could say out of the grace, out of the God's good grace, you know what I mean? Amen. Yes, sir. Now tell us more about the major challenge you have had in your life, such as having to adapt to living in society after serving six years and nine months straight in the penitentiary. Right. So after, uh, after I got right with God and stuff like that, you know, like after I really started locking in and I really started going all in, it's like, I find out that uh, my friends aren't really my friends, you know, like a lot of them are already locked into a deal with the devil or like they have some type of, you know, like loyalty to, to wickedness, I guess you could say. So the devil was like, you're going to keep that up? Or I'm going to pull the rug out from under you. And I was like, whatever, I'm with God. I don't care. You know what I mean? God already showed me what's good. So I'm with that. That's what's up. And, you know, and that's like my attitude that I was taking into it because I already had the hood instilled in me. You know what I mean? And I didn't have any type of reform. I, I didn't do any type of refining that I didn't understand that that was necessary in order to carry myself like uh, with grade A classmanship. You know, like when you're a one, you represent more than just yourself. You know what I mean? You represent a one. So when I go out now, you know what I mean? I'm lined up. I'm shoot. You know, everything's a one because when they see me, I want them to be like, oh, man, what? What? Well, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I'm a one. This is what happens when you're a one. You know what I mean? And when they see a evil, you know, they see dark beady eyes or bad intentions. You know, they get the the wicked or witchcraft or you know the demonic intentions i guess you could say and all those other schemes that are part of this world and that stuff is like honoring the devil and i do the exact opposite i like if that's to honor the devil then i want to honor god so i try and find like something similar to that but the exact opposite so like and do it for god instead of for the devil you know what i mean so like if they're saying no god I'm like, oh yeah, K and O W. You know God? Since when did you come to know God? Because there's two ways you could spell that. It's not just N O no God. It's K N O W no God. It's not just no Jesus. There's also K N O W. You should know Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you know Jesus? That's awesome. Like, so when did you come to know the king? And uh a lot of people they don't they don't give Jesus his respect, and that's messed up. Because everywhere in life, everybody's sitting here and they're looking at Michael Jordan or they're looking at LeBron James and they give him this respect as the greatest of all time. And and that's because he's the greatest basketball player to ever walk the earth. But what a lot of people don't want to do is give Jesus his respect as the greatest of all time because he's the one who beat the devil in every single aspect of the temptation. You know, and I kind of avoided your question and I got a little bit off track real quick, but that was necessary in order for a victory within somebody somewhere sometime so uh back to your question i'm sorry what did you say what was yes. the question? well i i want to move into the next question here in regard it ties into it as well in regards to your greatest accomplishments in your life after being in jail oh okay yeah that's that's where we're at so the devil pulls the rug out from under my feet and i end up going to the penitentiary i uh it's my first felony ever and uh i it was for intoxicated assault because i was drinking and driving and um, I got six year, I got a seven year sentence and uh, six years, nine months. I made sure they took off the non-aggravated charge. So that way I didn't have an aggravated charge. And then 
I'm already saved. And I guess that was like the devil taking me into the devil's den to see whether I could stand tall in that type of situation. And boy, I went in there and I shined. Went in there and I was like the only white dude playing basketball on the all black basketball court. You know what I mean? And they were my brothers and I stayed Solano and the white supremacists were trying to get me to join their white supremacy stuff. You know what I mean? And I was like, look, man, my mom's Hawaiian. My sister's Hispanic. My little baby brothers are half black. I was like, nope, you got the wrong one. They were like, well, you're six foot tall and you're white and you're athletic. I mean, we could just overlook this. And I was like, nope, not gonna happen, Bobo. I'm not with that foolishness. You know what I mean? I'm not like with that, that tunnel vision, you know? And that's like a whole bunch of white supremacist people were trying to get me. So like get me to join their white supremacy thing just because of my complexion and stuff. But I was like, bro, it's like my whole family's diverse. I was like, that's not gonna happen. So. Anyway, I'm in there and I had to fight. I had to fight one too because because of that. He was like, oh, you think you're too good for the brotherhood? And I was like, no, nah, man, it's not that at all. He's like, whoa, I want to look at you one time. All right, cool. So beat him up, got my respect. And uh, everybody like showed me love after that, you know? Like I didn't have to fight anymore after that. So that was awesome. Because going in there, you know, you don't know what the hell's going on. It's like pressure, it's like you're green. And all I knew was, I'm an 80s baby. So all I knew was American me and blood in, blood out. You know, the movies, you know, Blood In, Blood Out and American Me. I don't know if you ever seen either one of those movies, the one with Miklo and, you of know. Course. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So it's like, I'm going in there. I'm like, back against the wall, you know. <laughs> yeah, not happening. <laughs> I will kill. <laughs> We're fighting to the death for this booty. So anyway, uh, it's not like that at all, though. You know, it's just a whole bunch of hood brothers in there at the same. And, you know, a couple of random okie dokes and mama's boys and stuff like that. And then there's like a whole bunch of uh, people that you really don't want to mess with, you know, like people that run the mafia, or that run the families or, you know, that run the Aryan Brotherhood or the Aryan Circle or the um, Black Disciples or the Bloods and the Crips. Like, you don't want to mess with any of these people, you know what I mean? Because it's it's like you could get killed in a matter of seconds you can get murdered and not only that like it's so crazy that when you're in there you have to literally take your address off whenever your mama sends you a a, a a letter or something or like somebody of your family or your homeboy sends you a letter you have to literally take the address off as soon as you get it so that they you know so that's not laying around because if one of those guys know the address to your place like they got you they got you by the you know what i mean yeah so it's something that you really have to adapt to and you have to adapt on the fly. And man, it was just, it was crazy. I wouldn't recommend prison to anybody, but although I did luck up and I went to um, a prison entrepreneurship program, and that was one of the best things that could have ever happened to me in my whole life because 275,000 inmates, they apply for that stuff, but only uh, I believe like 125 get accepted. And so I go to prison entrepreneurship program. They showed me how to run a business plan before a board of investors, excuse me, before a board of investors. And they show me the importance of professionalism and carrying yourself like an intelligent human being and how to become a productive citizen in society. And they do a good job of teaching you about like overhead and cost of goods and niches in the market and, uh, you know, competitive advantages and having competitive advantages and being able to like run the numbers that are necessary in order to take your business plan before a board of investors. And then once you get that, you know, once you get that opportunity, then you it's, it's your time to shine. And uh, they also teach you, uh, you know, like how, the importance of a jingle and things of that nature. It's like a business course. And the people that you're around are freaking millionaires. You know what I mean? They're like people that have graduated from Harvard, from Yale, from Brown, from um, Cal Berkeley uh baylor a, a lady from baylor actually she helped me with my business plan and i did my business plan on um solar shingles you know i wanted to to take the coffins you know because that's what i knew that like you put a coffin on the house and that's like your solar panel or whatever i wanted to do solar shingles i wanted to make like literal shingles solar power but they said that my my uh they said it wasn't feasible because it jeopardizes the integrity of the roof uh but now they have solar shingles go figure so uh anyways going to prison yeah that definitely that was like pull, the devil pulling the rug out from under me but i handled it like a champ and when i got out you know i was a stud so uh a stud on the basketball court like i went in at 169 and i came out at about 210 
and you know six foot two ten getting out of the penitentiary seven years trying to get a job was dang near impossible because you know like you go in you go put in a job and they're like you know you're six foot one and you're 210 pounds you're a pretty big guy you know what i mean and you go in there and you have a criminal record they're like have you ever been in the penitentiary it's like well i just got out of the penitentiary i actually served six years nine months so like most most people uh, most businesses are like shoot we don't want that problem like what was your charge and it was like intoxicated assault which doesn't sound like what it is it sounds like i went on a drunken rampage or something like that you know what i mean and like, you get it no not at all i just i was drinking and driving and i crashed and i didn't even hit anybody like i uh, rolled my suv because i went it wasn't even my suv it was actually so a friend of a friend's suv so i i got in that suv and i they wanted me to take this guy home so i was like okay cool so when i was taking him home i went to the right and then when i cut back left it was like i was supposed to be going 35 miles an hour but i was going about like 50 and the SUV rolled over three times and we were upside down in a covert and he must have hit his head and got a concussion. And um, he had already got beaten up at the party, at a party before the party we went to. And um, he got hit, hit in the head with a crowbar. So I think he had a concussion on top of a concussion, which is which could be near fatal. And so they were waiting for him to die in order to give me intoxicated uh, manslaughter but he snapped out of his coma within like 30, 60 days. I, I can't remember, but- um, And they gave you six years, correct? Yeah, they gave me seven years. I actually signed for the seven years because my uh, lawyer, he told me, well, if I could get you seven years non-ag, you've already done 12 months in Bear County, then all you have to do is 13 months, you know? So you'll get your back time, which is 12 months. You'll go to, to TY, or TDCJ for one month and then you'll come back out and it's basically like doing a turnaround. So I was like, okay. So I signed it. Well, I didn't know I was going to have to do the whole seven years. You know, I did six years, nine months. And then I had three months to go. And then they finally gave me parole. And they did it right at October 29th, 2013. So I go in February 2nd, 2007. And I get out October 29th, 2013. So I go from a Nokia phone to a smartphone. You know what I mean? It's like a totally different ball game. This is like out of this world. I'm like, what? And I don't know what LMAO means. And I don't know what LOL means. And people are like, what the hell? Like, like they're texting me this stuff. You know what I mean? And I'm like, well, what does that mean? I was like, what's SMH? Like, where the hell have you been? It's like, I kind of don't want to discuss that. You know, like I felt like demoralized or maybe I felt like, uh, um, you know what I mean? Like it was, I was subject for criticism if I was to say something of that nature, you know what I mean? So it was like something that I would prefer to just forget about, you know, like I'm back out here and now let me get, let me get to work. Let me go start making a, a, a living. So nobody would take me. So I ended up having to go to Burger King and then that, that like killed me, you know, like it was impossible. It was like, it was impossible for me to get out of the hole that I had dug for myself. Plus in signing the parole for three months, I had to take on the $18,895 restitution. So I came out with that much debt, you know what I mean? And so I was just like, there's no way in heck I'm gonna be able to do this working at Burger King. So I jumped into the restaurant industry and I started kicking butt. Like I already got social skills, I already have good mannerisms, I already have good manners, I already know how to be on time. And all the cooks are usually convicts. So I know the lingo of convicts so I could Hey, bro, look out for me one time. You know what I'm saying? I got you, dog. Don't worry about it. And they're like, what the hell? They're like looking at a tall white dude talk like them. And they're like, okay, that's my boy. I'm like, yeah, that's yeah, that's what's up. Yeah, let me get them wings, man. <laughs> so they were like, I would I would get them in my pocket, I guess you could say, you know, like, like homeboys, you know? And I know that $5 isn't much, but $5 goes a long way with them because they're waiting on their paycheck, you know, every two weeks or whatever. So it's like, here, here's $5 tonight. Here's $20 tonight. Y'all looked out for me, man. I appreciate y'all. Y'all, that's what's up. All the other servers are looking at me like, why do you give them money? Like because if they mess if anything gets messed up, guess what? Who, who they're gonna fix? Oh, yeah, they're gonna fix my stuff like that. You know, like let's say you go there and you order a steak and you order your steak and you want it medium, and I bring it out to you and it's well done. You don't want to eat that. You know what I mean? So, I grab your steak and I take it back to my kitchen and I say, Hey man, this is supposed to be medium. Oh, JT, my bad, bro. I got you. Don't worry about it. Here you go. And my steak comes out super fast and you're like, 
but you're expecting to wait 20 minutes all your family's supposed to be done eating and stuff like that and then you get your steak and it's like you know it's just like not a good experience but i'm able to fix your i'm able to fix that mess up in a fraction of the time of everybody else because i've already built rapport with my with my kitchen staff so anyway you're truly a warrior justin now what is the absolute best change that you would love to witness in your lifetime the best change that i would love to witness in my lifetime oh i would love i would love for the united states to fix the broken system that we're living under because the system that we're living under the devil's had his hand in it the whole time you know what i mean creating it so that that way it causes oppression and it keeps people at this level you know what i mean it keeps them like just stopped right here like you can't get past this unless you know somebody up here and so if we could fix that system to where it could eliminate i would say the most important thing that we can eliminate or you know the irony the the the, the wonderful irony is eliminate the need for financial stability i guess you could say you know like so that it, so that nobody on earth or nobody in our nation will ever have to even contemplate selling their soul for money because that's what the devil's like dangling over everybody's head you know what i mean money financial stabilities you know like he's trying to like here you want to you want to you want to taste that lavish lifestyle you want to taste that lavish lifestyle just let me get your soul you know, and that's a gift from God, you know what I mean? And that's what gives you the ability to beat the devil. But the devil wants that for some odd reason. And I don't have an understanding of why he's so interested in collecting souls and stuff like that. I know that sounds far-fetched, but trust me. <laughs> well, great point. Now, what is your main message to the next generation, Justin? To the next generation? Yes, sir. Um, to grow. To to grow the best you can, you know what I mean? The, the main message I would say is to never give up and to always just keep building and just keep growing and give yourself enough bricks in order to, bricks meaning prayer bricks, you know, like each, each prayer you pray is a brick, you know, and you wanna have enough bricks to build not only a house, not only a two-story house, not only a, a, a mansion, you wanna build a castle, you know what I mean? You wanna have enough bricks to do that so imagine if each brick that you prayed you know every day that you prayed like you would speed quickness agility balance awareness coordination good decision making stamina clutch um all that stuff is like one brick one brick one brick one brick one brick and it starts off as nothing you know what i mean but like by the time you finish building you have a magnificent you know what i mean a magnificent yes, home i and love it you, use that home to honor God and, and God trust me God will make that lovely but um now what is your best advice for walking with purpose and living a life of happiness to the audience oh living a life of happiness okay uh I would say the best the best way to obtain happiness is to to go find a spot where nobody could bother you where nobody can interrupt you you know what I mean if it has to be out in the woods just go out in the woods by yourself. I know that sounds scary for some people, but just find a place where only you could go and then go reach out to God. You know what I mean? Like, like reach out to God, just reconnect, reconnect with God. That's going to be one of the most, that's going to be the most important thing we can do as a whole, as a whole, as a whole world. You know what I mean? Like, because the devil's done set up so many dang smoke screens that everybody's sitting here afraid to go reconnect, afraid to get involved, or they're believing, or they're, they're under the, it's to their understanding that they've already done such horrible things behind closed doors or wherever, whatever, that they're not worthy of going to God. You know what I mean? But none of this stuff even matters to God. You know what I mean? All that matters is that you come back to him. All that matters is that you, you finally find it one day, you know, like you find a light because we're stuck 2020. The devil's out here trying to fool people. He's really trying to depreciate our children. He's trying to depreciate. He's going after our kids next. And that's what's really messed up. That's another reason I stayed. I, I didn't want to stay at all. But then it was like, you know what? He's going after the kids next. And I was like, and he's like, the angel was like, everything that he did to you, he's going to try and do that to the kids too, whether it's 
you know, the knife that was to my throat or whether it was the gun to my head or whether it was the bullet that were flying by me. You know what I mean? I was a kid. I didn't know what was going on. But that was like the devil trying to get me, trying to get at me. You know what I mean? So I want to I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to give the whole game away. I'm going to tell everybody is what not to sell out for. You know what I mean? The bling bling, the born in it, the money ain't a thing, schemes, all that trash. No, don't sell out for that. Don't sell out because it's a whole lot better if you keep it real. It kind of like speaks for itself. Like, would you rather be real or would you rather sell out? You know, would you rather have a sellout around you or would you have have somebody who kept it real? That's like a no brainer to me. You know what I mean? And it's like, there's not as much dark, but like, or if the light's on, let's say while you're, you're living your walk of life or whatever, and the light is on, then you could see things for what they are. And when you and once you can see things for what they are, it's easier to walk around those dangerous situations or those, you know, those it's easier to stay away from those dark minded individuals who want to. Uh, like tempt you into doing something that goes against your everyday code of ethics or values or morals or, you know what I mean? They're like trying they try and like slide their way, you know, and it, and it's messed up because it's even your family, even your friends. You, you never even know, like strangers, you never even know who's who's locked in with the wickedness, you know what I mean? So you have to start doing a way better job of perceiving who you hang out with. So I think that would be one of the most important things for our kids to know is who they're hanging out with because we go so long through life without knowing, without knowing like, damn, that was, he was evil. He's the reason I was doing this and this and this and this and this. And I would have never done that because it's not in human nature to be like that. You know what I mean? It takes counsel of the wicked to fool someone who's of someone who's complete, you know, somebody who's intact. It's it's like a counsel of the wicked. It's like an evil presence in the world that just like, there you go. That's where I want you. You know what I mean? And then we're just like, oh, okay, you know, like we're just okay with being pushed down. And that's just not awesome. That's so, right. It is important to make sure to have God first place in your lives for the audience that's listening. I'm going I'm, I'm to put so much money back into this. I'm going to say, I'm going to even go to other nations, other countries and stuff like that. And I'm going to like volunteer if I have to, you know what I mean? And I'm going to go save a whole bunch. I'm going to be a, I'm going to motivate them and be like, look, man. If I did it, you could do it. Trust me. I done been to prison, TYC. I done been to Section 8 housing. I done been to SAM shelter. I done lost brothers to the state of Texas, Child Protective Services. I'm going to be like, man, and I came out and I made it semi-professional and I did it. I'm acting, you know what I mean? I've done acting on the side. I just did something for uh, Stephen King's in the death room. That was pretty cool. Um yeah, I got a lot of a lot of souls to save. So you know what I mean? That's the only reason I stuck around. Like all the materialistic things you can see here on earth, that's all been thought of. You know what I mean? Like anything you could look at and see here on earth, it's already been thought of. And it was actually put in the grass and dirt for us to find as a way to show us like what's to come, the treasures that are to come in heaven. And there's not gonna be an iPhone one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. It's already gonna be at its best. You know what I mean? Can you imagine what this world would be like if God was right here with us doing the building? You wouldn't have no need for an iPhone 1, iPhone 2, iPhone 3, iPhone 4. And none of this money, this paper and metal, it wouldn't be hindering our, you know what I mean? Our progress or wouldn't be altering our decision making or anything like that. You know what I mean? Because there wouldn't be a need for money. It'd be like, here you go. It's free. It's free. There's plenty. There's plenty. Everything that we have, there's plenty of it to just give it, but people want to make that money. You know what I mean? And now you got to find a, a, a neutral way of saying, hey man, but it's going to stop the business. It's going to stop the billionaires money, their income. They're not going to like that, you know, and they will send goons. That's just like JFK and MLK. You know what I mean? They were on, they were on to something. They were, they had the light and they were willing to make the sacrifice that was necessary in order for us to obtain victories just like jesus jesus was on on so on 
He's the best one. He didn't fall for any of that foolishness. The devil was offering him all kinds of stuff to like sell out. He's like, no, nah, man, you're crazy. I don't need nothing on this earth. I don't need nothing from you. I don't need no bling bling. I don't need no amount of lavish. I don't need no amount of, of next born in it life. None of that. I don't need to come back. Why would I come back if I'm going to heaven? You know what I mean? Everything you see here on earth is made by man, woman, and children. Can you imagine what it would be like if it was made by God? The best to the hundredth power, to the millionth power, to the best of its, everything would be to its best. So got to keep people from selling their souls or keep people from wanting to like be a part of the devil's allegiance or whatever. You know what I mean? Because that council of the wicked has been around so long and it's been setting up this smoke screen that's so thick that none of us can none of us can like see through it anymore it's like we're automatically stuck in this way of living you know it's like oh i go to work i pay my bills i don't think that's the way god wanted it you know what i mean and there's enough money in this nation in order to make a system to where our kids won't have to work hard like that eight hours a day so you think about it you work eight hours a day you sleep eight hours a day that's 16 hours you're down to eight hours it takes an hour to get ready maybe an hour and two hours for some people now you're down to six hours left. It takes an hour to eat. There goes five hours. You know what I mean? It takes an hour to wind down. You got four hours left to do something that you enjoy to do. But hell, you're probably too tired to do it. So you just chill for two more hours. Then you got two hours before it's bedtime again. It's like they're taking the way they're supposed to be. That's why kids are so amped up and wired. Like, let's go. Let's go. It's, it's daylight. You know, it's, it's 10 a.m. No, it's not. It's 7 a.m. Well, get up. You know, and then they want to stay up till two, but we put them on a schedule and we're like, no, you know, but I'd say the most important thing right now is, is the big bad wolf is trying to make, he's trying to depreciate our children. He's trying to thin the herd and how he's doing that is you think of the three things that the kids, that anything needs to grow in this world the most, they need water. So how does he take water away? He makes soda more appealing. He makes soda more common. He makes coffee more common. He makes tea more common, especially sweet tea. So he's depriving our children of water in that sense. And then wholesome, nutritious food. So he makes fast food, fast and prepared like that with no nutritional value whatsoever. So now all of a sudden they're not getting wholesome, nutritious food and stuff like that. You know, they're getting something made quick, boom, from the store, pow. You know, and then after that, it's fresh air and sunlight. How is he depriving our children of fresh air and sunlight? Here's a phone. Stay your butt inside. And a lot of people don't realize when they're living in their life, they're actually living their life like this. You wake up in the morning, you start, you're breathing AC. You get ready for work. You hop in your car. You're breathing AC. You get to work. You're breathing AC. Same for the kids. They get in their bus. They're breathing AC. They get in their they get to the school, they're breathing AC. You know, you have like, what, 45 minutes for rec. That's the only time you get fresh air. If you come out, you know, you might go to the cafeteria and just stay breathing AC. You get off of work, you get off of school, you go back to the house, you're back in the house, breathing AC. And a lot of people do that. Like 80% of their day is breathing air conditioned air instead of fresh air. And they're not getting any sunshine. They're getting whatever lights they have in their home, you know, because they feel like that's a safe place to grow. But they don't realize that if you were taking in good water, going out, running, running and working yourself out, getting that sunshine, that's growing you. That's how you grow. That's how you grow anything in this world. And a lot of people don't do that anymore because it's like they've made they've made it so easy to just not have to, you know, not have to go outside anymore. Like Why go outside? Because that's sunlight and you need sunlight to grow and your babies, don't you want your babies to grow, to be healthy and strong so that that way the devil can't make an easy meal of them. Because the, the darkness goes after the sick lamb. The big bad wolf doesn't want a tough meal. You know what I mean? He wants a sick lamb. So how do you get sick lambs? You make a whole bunch of sick lambs. Whom are just living off of AC, fast food, and coffee, sweet tea, and soda.
now they're wither. You know what I mean? Oh, that's an easy lamp. That's an easy, easy pickings. Very powerful. Justin, thank you so much for being a guest on Walk With Me podcast. <laughs> I truly appreciate you. Now, where can the audience find you? Where can they find me? Yes, oh, sir. You'll, you'll be able to find me all over the place here <laughs> soon. But uh, right now, you can just find me on, on, on Facebook. That's the only platform, the social media platform platform that I use. I do have an Instagram, but I've only put one picture on Instagram and I don't feel like getting involved in that because it's just going to snatch a whole bunch of time out of my day. You know what I mean? And I, I use a lot of my time to try and find better ways to praise God. You know, I try and find the best way I can praise God. And then I'm going to share that later, later. And then I want to know like the best way you could praise God. Like what's the best way you praise God It's like on my knees at night and give thanks and putting my hands high to the sky. Uh, mine is saving souls, of course, but I was just using that as an example. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure to check out Justin at Justin Terrell Crane on Facebook. And Justin, again, thank you so much for being a guest on Walk With Me podcast. You have a blessed Anytime. day. Anytime. I love you. Love you.